Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits, a podcast. We'll be talking to folks inside and outside the Sebastopol City Limits about local government, education, and culture. I'm Dale Doherty with the Sebastopol Times. I'm joined today by my colleague, Laura Hager-Rush, and we are talking to Dennis Rossetti of Rossetti Consulting about the election. As we started our conversation today, a new batch of votes came in showing up on the county registrar's site. So we've been talking about that. But welcome, Daddy. Thanks for talking to us. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me to talk. Could you just give us, in a nutshell, your background and the type of work you do? Sure. I do political consulting and public affairs work in Sonoma County in the North. I've been doing this as a full-time gig for about eight years. I started my business about 12 years ago. And prior to that, I was the executive director for Sonoma County Conservation Action. I cut my teeth on politics in the county. And I did that work for about 15 years in Sonoma County at the grassroots level. Just to be explicit, were you involved in managing any of the campaigns in the Spasville City Council or the school board? I was not. No, yeah. I did not work on any campaigns directly in Sebastopol West County this cycle. I did have a couple of campaigns in Windsor. Uh, I had a school board campaign in Pioneer Olivet uh, Union School District and a couple other campaigns around the North Bay, but not in. Okay, know. great. Why don't you just tell us about this recent update of votes? We got another 40,000 votes that came in uh, from the county registrar voters from their last update this past Tuesday, which was the 15th, we were told there was about 60,000 votes left to count, approximately. It appears that they added about another 40,000 to the tally. So that tells me we've got a diminishing number left, uh, obviously. Uh, and usually the ones that are left at this point are ones that come in the mail. In other words, they've received them after election day, but they are postmarked by election day. And or they are provisionals where folks had a spoiled ballot, they screwed up on their ballot and had to get a new one. They late, same day registered and voted provisionally. Those ballots are always the most difficult for them to verify, and they take the most time with them in order to make sure that the sanctity of our process is kept intact. So what do the current numbers tell us? Anything different? Anything's changed since the Tuesday? As far as I can tell now, without diving too deep in, as you said, literally this came out 10 minutes ago, it appears that we have a similar trend to what we've been seeing, and we haven't had any movement amongst our candidates here in the city of Sebastopol in terms of positioning. We've still got Stephen Zolman, uh, who is in the lead with 1,843 votes, Joe McLewis in second place at 1,800, and then Sandra Maurer at 1,744 votes. And those are the top three that would advance if this were the final. And then we have two trailing, and that would be Oliver Dick at 1,512 votes and Dennis Colthurst with 1,436 votes. The gap has gotten a little bit bigger between the top and the bottom. Uh, we've got 331 votes separating them currently. And then the gap, the more, perhaps more relevant gap here, because it doesn't really matter what place you're in as long as you're top three, the gap between third place and fourth place is about 232 votes with 1744 for third place being the vote counts we're seeing right now. If you look at the votes from 2018, which is the most recent, um, you know, non-presidential city council election, those votes tallied in at 24, uh, 78 for third place and 28, 69 
for first place. However, you had a situation where the voter turnout was 83%. This is the election right after Trump got elected. Typically, you see a dip in the non-presidential years in terms of voter turnout. And in fact, we did see a dip, but it was not a very big dip. 83.5% is a very high voter turnout for any election, let alone a gubernatorial. The presidential years, by comparison, we see typically in Sonoma County, 90, 93% uh, one of the top in the state always. Us, Marin County and Alpine County, interestingly enough, there's only about 300 voters in Alpine County, uh, but they all vote. So um, how did, what's the turnout for this year looking like? Right now we're sitting at 60% with this current update. And when you add in about another 20,000 votes, if that's what's out there, which is what the registrar of voters is telling us, you're going to end up around 65% countywide. So Bassett will track a little better than that, uh, as we always do. But I don't expect it to be more than a few percentage points higher. So it's a bit down from the last two elections then, right? Yeah. I can see these numbers climbing another 100 or 200 votes um, overall, but I don't think we're going to get to 2,600, in other words, on what any of our people that were running. I think there's a number of reasons for that. One is, again, it's a lower turnout election in general, so you're going to have lower votes. Two, you have five people running that were, relatively speaking, unknowns in the city politics. I don't mean that in a disparaging way toward the candidates at all. It's just mm -hmm. they haven't been on a ballot for the city council before. So the other newcomers, uh, we had three long tenure council members choose not to run this cycle, which left these three open spots. And we had five people run that had different levels of service given to the city, right. the community, but not necessarily name placement on the ballot. I believe the only person who did have that was Dennis Coldhurst, who was on the Palm Drive board. And he is currently in last place. And I personally, and I'm sure many of us might ask the question is, does that association with Palm Drive actually hurt him more than help him, given what happened with Palm Drive and it's no longer really a functioning agency and we're still paying property taxes there. It does say people might remember those things. And his campaign played it down. There was some discussion about undervoting, that that there was a strategy to encourage people to only vote for candidates in two out of the three rather than three. And of course, this is in the context of a group running as a block, Oliver Dick, Jill McLewis, and Dennis Coldhurst. I can't think of any in recent history that ran quite as unified as those three had. I can't think of any examples in that regard. You know that oftentimes allegiances happen and there's common supporters and you often see certain signs together in certain properties and other signs for the other opposition and other properties. Right. But I don't recall such a coordinated campaign. I'm an outsider looking into this thing, but I am the business. And the direct mail that was sent out by the three, the ran as a slate. So you got three different pieces, um, McLewis, Coldhurst, and Dick. And it appeared to me that the graphic design was done by the same person or the same firm. Very similar characteristics. All had little vote by November 8th, little stars in the corners of the mail. The backside had the same kind of spacing and layout design for the most part. The message was very similar, uh, if not exactly the same on the pieces in terms of the top three to five issues that they listed some very subtle differences, but for the most part, looked the same. They were all sent from the same pre-sorted first class mail and they all came out of the same outfit. So it, it appeared that they were running pretty coordinated. I think maybe you had some pushback from voters in Sebastopol. Maybe they didn't like that. Hard to say exactly, given there's not that big of a spread between any one candidate or the other, but the two that 
a period to be advancing that were on the other side, Zolman and Maurer, did not have the same looking uh, materials, same look and feel to their materials. They did have a few common endorsements with the Sierra Club and with Sebastian Morrow. But besides that, they seem to not have a whole lot of the same strategy and planning. As far as undervoting goes, or, you know, withholding the third vote, again, I don't know if you can really tell by the numbers that that happened, but I did hear that kind of buzz around town, partly as a knee-jerk reaction, I think, to the slate. And folks being concerned about the slate getting in and all of a sudden having a majority of the council. But I would guess that a lot of folks chose to place their third vote and Maybe they chose the woman, and that's why you see Dill. Maybe they liked her profile more than the other two. What I've noticed talking to progressive political watchers is there was a lot of talk that, like, yay, the strategy for encouraging people to vote for two people was what won this game. And they pointed to the, I think it's, was it a roughly 1,500, that's fair, it's a rough number, under votes. But then we looked back at some earlier elections and noticed that there was even more undervoting, say, in the Diana Rich election. And to me, that kind of blew that particular theory out of the water. Sounded nice. Yeah. In that election in 2020, Diana had a 25-78 vote margin, whereas the nearest competitor, Nisa Hinton, had 21-29. And then Everett Fernandez had 2,074. So they're about Four to 500 votes below her vote total would appear that perhaps some people just bullet voted. That's what they call it in the, the political world, bullet voting. But it's also hard to say because there was another person and there two more people in that race as well. But you do have someone who has a lot more votes than the other two. So when, when you have five and they're all so close together, I don't know that you can actually say from a political science standpoint that there's evidence of undervoting. The other thing we've heard from people is they felt they didn't get a lot of information about the candidates. One, they were new, so they didn't have a track record. When they made comments in public, it was pretty neutral. So is this a, a contest that's more defined by personality, who you like or who you feel comfortable with, than it is about issues? Really enough, and I'll point out that the slate of three had some comments and quotes that indicated to me that they intentionally did not go after community-based organization endorsements, whereas the other two did. I would always advise a person running for city council to take the time, educate yourself on the issues facing the city and the people that are involved in those issues and the organizations involved in those issues, and make a really concentrated effort to reach out to those affinity organizations and those issue interest groups to find out what their issues are. What are the things they're concerned about and court them to help you get elected? Both Stephen and Sandra did those endorsement interviews and went through some of those processes and those organizations they communicate out to their members and the folks that they now that live within the jurisdiction. And I think that's worth at least a hundred to 200 votes, probably a very close election. Oh, endorsements matter. In a race like this, I think endorsements matter. Partly because you have one side saying, we're not going to do that. And that's a strategy oftentimes used by folks that know they're not going to get endorsements. So they just say, we're above all that or whatever. But then you have candidates making comments to your newspaper that I read with some distaste that said, I don't have the time to spend doing that. And to me, that's part of the job. You got to go out there and learn what you're going to be legislating and governing. So for me as a voter, 
again, I'm only one person, but I look at those types of things. It's not the only thing that helps me make my decision. I also look for folks to come around and knock on my door or to go to an event to see people speak in public or to forums. The only person I saw come to my neighborhood was Sandra. I do believe the uh, the three folks had a meet and greet at one of my neighbor's houses, but I was not able to make it. I know Sandra did knock on my door and I had a conversation with her when I was out gardening in the front yard one morning on a Saturday morning. So another observation that we looked at the campaign spending is not complete yet, but the last time we looked at it, it's fairly low amounts raised overall under $10,000 for candidates. The block each got $4,700 from Barlow. Interestingly, Zolman's probably the last on that list in terms of how much he raised, and he's the top vote getter. That's mm -hmm. contrary to most political formulas. Often it's not how much money you spend, it's how you spend it. And having enough money to run a decent race, to get yourself some signs and some name visibility is important. Deficits of finances in a town is the size of ours. A jurisdiction the size of Sebastopol can't be overcome by a ground game and actually going out and talking to voters and earning the votes. I did hear that all the candidates were doing that, but they might not have all had the same coverage. Sure. I may have missed some at home. Yeah. They didn't leave something behind when they stopped by, though. So I'm interested in how you think this election, what did it say about the power dynamics within Sebastopol? There's the whole question of the, the old guard versus the new guard. There was a lot of discussion about that, but it seemed hard to tell who was who in this game <laughs> under those definitions. Maybe you could describe, could you explain a little more what you're... Absolutely. So was this just old Sebastopol versus new Sebastopol, that sort of demographic split that we're used to in town? Or were we seeing something else? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who old and new is anymore. We are the oldest voting jurisdiction in Sonoma County by our population. We have more folks over the age of six, 55 than the other city by percentage of population. So, you know, that new guard you might be referring to that in the nineties or so, I think is right. part of the old guard. Right. So, I, there's the old, old guard and there's the old guard. And then there's the new guard. I'm going to come to the names of some of the personalities. I'm not sure I want to invoke them here in this forum, but I have a lot of respect for folks on both sides of that spectrum. And I think it's important to have a healthy debate in our town. Personally, when I see the vote spread here being only 332 votes, I think it was, we said that they're separated by. When you see that small a margin of victory and defeat, it tells me that things aren't clear um, in terms of where folks are at and where the city's going. I think you had candidates searching for issues. I think the city's been in a pretty good place in general. Of course, we have issues just like any other place with housing, with homelessness, cost of living. Our fire department is a big issue. I thought that would actually play more than it did in the election. It was brought up and it was discussed, but it seemed like every candidate had pretty much the same or similar answer to that one. And I thought it would be a little more of a heavy issue. But anyways, my point was, I think things have been in a fairly good place by a council that's been pretty attentive to the needs of the citizens and the residents. You had a vacuum of folks, of leadership, of folks stepping out. I, I was hearing from people up until literally the data file that were considering putting their hat in the ring. There was a lot of hesitation because what does this mean? What does it do? I haven't been involved before. I think we're going to see some folks in the next couple of campaign cycles up here that might be new names, new faces, maybe a little younger that might be interested. As far as the differences between that old school and the new school, if you will, so sure they're so far apart right now. But as much as Sebastopol could have a progressive and a conservative swing, it did feel like this one group was running it with a more conservative Stance. Yeah, the, uh, three yeah. were the more conservative and the two were the more 
liberal progressive. The two that were more progressive went out and got the Sierra Club endorsements, Basketball Tomorrow, and all. One of them had a Snowy County Conservation Action. The other one had a Democratic Party and the, and the North Bay Labor Council. And those folks communicate to their organizations and their people, and I think that's swung it. The other race that went on, and I don't know if you looked at it much, but it was the uh, West County Union High School District race, which is, given some of the history here, it's a pretty contentious race. Ramirez won handily over the incumbent, 56 to 43%. I'm just looking at that now from the new update. And we should point out, of course, that Dennis's wife was on the board. Kelly is married to Kelly Noe. So you have the inside view of this. I do, and I, I perhaps have a view that's not totally able to be separated from my bias. Well, you know, low turnout in that election, too, in general, compared to the last couple of cycles. Really? Debbie Ramirez was elected to the Sebastopol Union School Board in the past. I think more than once. I could be wrong about that. She's got a lot of network here in town. I saw a lot of yard signs out there for her. I saw evidence that she was doing text banking directly reach out to voters in that way. I didn't see mail from either candidate, direct mail. I do know that the Forestville, Lower River, and El Molino, quote-unquote, sections of the district have been very unhappy with the board in general. It I didn't just, see a whole lot of campaign from Patrick, the opponent, uh, or the right. appointed incumbent, if you will. I didn't see some signs out there of his. I heard a bunch of them had gotten stolen, but I didn't see a whole lot of other campaign activity from him, so I don't know. Okay, did any of these candidates do anything interesting online? to campaign. You mentioned text banking. Debbie did text banking. I didn't see a whole lot, to be honest. I saw a few folks made Facebook pages, which is a standard thing to do, right. and very basic websites. But I didn't see a whole lot of online advertising, digital ads from any of the city council candidates or the school board. I did see some endorsement posts and what I would call uh, memes created by endorsers with testimonials and stuff like that from some of the candidates. But I didn't see it. I didn't even see a whole lot of that, to be honest. I'm wondering if you saw anything in these elections locally that echoed what we've been seeing on the national level in terms of tone. Votes going to be fake and that sort of thing? That's, that would be one thing. Sort of personal attacks, that would be another thing. Okay, I admit I have a dog in this particular fight. <laughs> the integration of the press, that would be another thing. Yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of that locally myself. I'll tell you, in my recent winter that I worked in, there was a lot of very negative campaigning going on by the opposition to my two candidates, Maureen Merrill and Gina Fortino-Dixon, or my two candidates. My candidates insisted on keeping a positive campaign and not going below the belt. And unfortunately, the people we were running against had some supporters who were just very vicious, and they basically owned the Facebook and the uh, next door and the social media sites. And that was difficult to undo. The role yeah. of next door is interesting. What was your feeling locally here in Sebastopol for what you saw? From a consultant's perspective, I'm not a fan of next door when it comes to campaigning. Uh-huh. And that's mostly because there's really no controls there. Anyone can say whatever they want. When they make a title of a post, it just stays there forever. And every time someone comments, it just keeps popping up and popping up. So you can get some real bad information happening, which is something that we did see in Windsor. And it just persists out there because there's no real mechanism to control it or to reel it in. You also get a lot of my experience, which is unfortunately becoming deeper now with next door in elections, having run a bunch of ballot measure campaigns recently in West Sonoma County. You get a lot of folks from cross jurisdictions. Next door doesn't stop at the city limits of, so you get people from other jurisdictions that happen to be included in that neighborhood group, opinion on things that have 
no bearing on their lives really. So it's very interesting. And there's a lot of uninformed opinion out there as well. I think it does play somewhat of a role, but it does tend to be a bit of an echo chamber because you've got 10 or 15 people on one thread and maybe 20 or 30 or 50 other people seeing the thread that's going on. There's some core group of people that are really fighting over this and they're carrying that campaign over lots of places, but most people aren't paying attention. And uh, it's true. Yeah. Sadly, it's the thing we live in our state of affairs to bring up the national issue. I think where that comes into play, actually, Laura, is that it distracts people from what's right in front of them, which right. is their local elections, and they turn them off. Or it makes them feel a little more jaded. That division at the national level between the That's Republicans and the Democrats, I think does trickle down a bit to the local level because it makes us all less eager or less likely perhaps to be willing to engage with each other on a local level because we know that we have disagreements on that national level. Whereas people that disagree about who's running for president, let's take, let's put Trump aside, even though we can't do that, but let's put that aside, can still agree on, hey, we need to fix our park or, hey, we need to pave our streets or allow some more housing to be built because our kids need a place to live. Or we have people here that can't afford to live here. How do we create some more affordable housing? We can come together on some of those things and say, let's figure out how to do this, right? We need to. We have to be able to exist here. When you start getting into the, the bigger meta issues, if you will, that's when things start to come off. And I think we do see a little bit of a deleterious effect downstream at the local level from the national situation. Hmm. We also have a little bubble here in Sonoma County in general, in Sebastopol. We're in the bubble of the bubble. I think even our conservative neighbors and friends uh, often find distaste with what's being the vitriol kind of craziness on the national level. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate your thoughts and insights into the election. We'll say it's not over yet, but it is very close to the finish line. Yeah, we're getting a lot closer. With 20,000 votes left, County-wide. You could see a change here in Sebastopol in the top three, but I think it's getting less likely. Thank you very much for inviting me to come on. I'm happy to talk anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks.